0: Welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast where we talk about interesting stuff. Interesting things about farming, food, fuel, fiber. we talk about the business of agriculture. I'm your host, Damian Mason. As ever, an interesting show. I promised you long ago, I told you in the beginning of this whole thing, we're not gonna bore you with grain charts. We're not going to bore you with discussions of what the weather might do in March, where the jet stream is gonna go. No, we talk about the actual business of agriculture, how people make a living, what people do. Interesting things you can learn, lessons you can apply to your business today, got a neat guest, a guy that I met on social media. He's a North Dakotan. That's right, he's a North Dakotan, which is to say he's of Scandinavian descent, because they all are up there, in case you've not been. He has a business called General Grain. He's also a farmer. He does grain salvage. He does seed cleaning. He grows seed on his own, and he also is what I'd call an ag entrepreneur. I think we all know about food production. We all know about crop production in this business. We all know We grow a crop, we we plant corn, we plant soybeans, we put wheat, barley, Milo, you name it, cranberries in the ground and we harvest the crop. But there's more to all this, first off, What happens when the grain gets spoiled? What happens when there's a train wreck? Somebody has to salvage that. This guy started a business where he salvages grain. He also grows seed. He is an ag entrepreneur, and he's got a lesson for you because you know what? Lots of people making a living out here in the business of agriculture doing something a little differently than you, but you might be able to learn something from it. Welcome to the show, The Business of Agriculture. Again, I'm Damian Mason, your host, and today, welcome Dennis Haugen. Dennis, thank you for joining us.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: I appreciate everything you and I have talked before we started recording, so I can learn a little bit about what you do. Okay, there you are up in Hannaford, North Dakota. Lovely little hamlet that it is, 90 miles northwest of Fargo, about the same distance southwest of Grand Forks. I've got ties to North Dakota. For all of you listeners out there, you're saying, what's your tie to North Dakota? One of the first deals I did in the business of agriculture was out there, 1995, Stephen Stregge. Uh, manager of the uh, North Dakota Grain and Feed Association. He's about four foot ten. This guy, I mean, borderline dwarf, and is about negative 20 or negative 40 degrees outside. Picks me up at the airport. He's got on a parka and a hood that's so long I couldn't see his face. And he's got a button on that says 44 below keeps the riffraff out. I've always thought North Dakota was cool. I've loved working for those people. My grandfather came to this country on a boat, milked cows as a Herdsman in Minot, North Dakota, tells the story long before Little House on the Prairie made it real via Hollywood about tying a rope to the bunkhouse over to the barn so that when the storms came, you could follow the rope and get over to milk the cows and back to your bunkhouse without dying. True story. I remember that doing that with my dad when when I was six years old. Is that right? Dennis Haugen, you are what I would call an ag entrepreneur. You're a farmer, but you also have a couple of businesses, very interesting businesses, First off, tell us real quickly about the farm so everybody understands your background. Well, we're basic North Dakota
1: farm—corn, uh, soybeans, barley, spring wheat—and then our specialty crop we uh, we do radish seed for the cover crop market.
0: Okay, you are a pretty big farmer, but then again, there's a lot of bigger farmers in North Dakota. They have larger acreages than say uh, the southeast, northeast, or even parts of the Midwest. You've got several thousand acres there, all under irrigation. None of it under irrigation, partial. Oh, we got a little bit underwater, but uh, most of all ours is dry land. Okay, so you were raised on a farm. Yep. You basic traditional background. Well, had beef cows.
1: Uh, we were into beef cows a uh, little bit of that for a few years in the early nineties, but uh, we got get more busy with the general grain side. My brother was busy with doing. Vehicle repair work, da 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 da, and we just uh, we sent the cows down the road and decided to focus on uh,
0: on our other business. Got it. All right, Dennis. Just for the uh, sake of our listeners here, because we talk about things from a historical perspective. I'm 48 years old. You're just about a decade older than me, right? Yep. 57. So when we talk about the ugly 80s and the nasty 90s in eastern North Dakota, or for agriculture in general, and some of my listeners are a little younger, and I know they've heard this, and it's a bit like, oh, we walked uphill both ways uh, to school in snowstorms. Not pulling any of that. But the 80s were a rough time. 90s were uh, uh, not much better. You got into a sideline in addition to your farming in the 90s. It's called general grain. You do grain salvage. Give us the brief background on how that all started. Well, we got started with
1: uh, one portable cleaner, and we were doing uh, on-farm cleaning uh, back then in eastern North Dakota. To was... somebody
0: listening that says, "I don't know what that means," on-farm cleaning. Tell them what that means. Maybe this person might be a citrus grower in California.
1: Oh, okay. Well, we had a truck with a with seed cleaning equipment on it, so uh, we would go from farm to farm and send the farmer bringing their seed to the elevator to get cleaned up for spring, for spring planting to get all the weed seeds out of it, we'd come right to their farm do. And what kind of seed are we talking about? Oh, uh, we started,
0: our beginnings were in barley and wheat and durum. Okay, so they bring their wheat to you or you go to them and they say, all right, this is stuff out of my bin and I'm actually going to reuse it next year to seed. Yep. Okay, which we don't do that with corn and soybeans. No, but we used to do that more so and maybe still do with things like barley.
1: Well, the barley and the wheat are still non-GMO and, and and we do back then, I mean we started out, we probably ninety percent of the grain we processed for seed was common seed and ten percent was certified seed. Today that's a complete flip flop. And I would say even less than ten percent is is common seed and ninety 90 plus percent is certified seed, and we we go out to farmers, we have a regular clientele that grow certified seed year in, year out, we come and do their processing and then they market
0: their seed. Okay, so you clean it for them, they market, meaning they sell it on to somebody else themselves? Right. Okay. All right. you told me before we went live here and started recording that an accident happened on the rail, along land that you owned, and this came at a pretty good time, a a precipitous time, a uh, a fortunate time, because things were a little skinny on the home front, but this thing happened. It got you going in a different entrepreneurial direction. Tell me about that.
1: Well, it was... uh fall 1995 and we had a major train derailment basically right on the front door of our farm uh, on our property and and, uh, uh, 50 loaded rail cars went off and all this mess had to be cleaned up and uh, we worked on that from late October till Christmas Eve and when I got all said and done we kind of decided that you know what we made a pretty nice little chunk of change here and, and there's opportunities out there for
0: doing Things out of the ordinary there you go so you're just you're, you're listening right now to this podcast saying what are they talking about all right the guy is out here farming it's, it's kind of a wet fall and it's not exactly uh it's not it's not great times things are a little lean there mid 90s and 50 rail cars derail along the field that you own on the field that you own now the railroad has one heck of a mess there's stuff spilled everywhere like what
1: Oh, there was everything. There was uh, cars of butter, uh, crab imitation, crab meat for Subway. There was a car of flour. There was uh, lead ingots. There was 14 cars of lumber. Um, Yeah, it it was a mismatch of everything.
0: And then the railroad company has folks that come in with cranes to pick up the cars because their first obligation is to get the train tracks open so they can keep commerce going. They do that. And now there's a still a hell of a mess laying there in your field. And they needed you to do what? Well, we assisted
1: with. It was very wet conditions that fall, and I, all this stuff had to leave on a truck. Uh, so we were, you know, dragging semis in and out day in day out, and, and uh,
0: you know, they just needed our assistance to get all this stuff done. Okay, so you're you're helping keep things from getting stuck. You're towing things with your tractors, and then it dawns on you. Man, two months, we just spent two months, me, who you and your well, higher, my brother and I, your brother and you, and you're helping this happen, and you say, wait a minute, maybe there's money to be made doing this salvage work. That's how it went. Yep. Take it to the next step.
1: Well, we kept on, continued on with, uh, you know, grain cleaning. We'd added another rig. Uh, pretty soon we had three rigs. Uh, 2000, we added a grain elevator um, with rail service, um, and... All the time, we getting more calls on fixing bug damaged grain, fixing mixed grain separation, um, the likes of that, uh, grain with contaminants in it from train derailments, rocks, whatnot. You know, we we just kind of got introduced to a whole new field.
0: And you got pretty good at it because you obviously had seen what happened. You, I've never seen a train derailment in person. You had you worked alongside of it for two months, and so now it's starting to make more sense to you. You bought equipment to help clean this stuff up. So bring us then closer to today. What does General Grain, and in the meantime, you did buy a grain elevator, which kind of then became a home base. Yep. Uh, a defunct grain elevator down the road from you uh, became available. They were going through foreclosure. You bought it, used as your home base now for General Grain. Correct. Okay. Take us to today with what your grain salvage within General Grain does.
1: Okay, well, as long as we're talking about our elevator, uh, we have mainline rail service. So we end up buying cars, distressed cars is what we call them in the business. Uh, Say a car of wheat ends up at a flour mill and one of the hatches blew up and on the way and it got rained on it. Got some moldy, musty grain in there. Uh, They reject the car. Uh, We're on the rail. We'll buy the car at a discount. They'll ship it back to us. We'll offload it, go into a feed market with it or some other avenue where we can create some revenue off this distressed product.
0: Okay. You do all that in-house there, but the thing is it'd be impossible for you to take all the stuff that you end up handling back to Hannaford, North Dakota. Right. So what happens then otherwise? What does general grain do besides what happens at the elevator? Well, we still process a lot of seed. We we're in excess of
1: 400,000 bushels a year of certified seed that we process. Um, so Grain salvage issues, uh, we will we can take our rigs to, uh, you know, a grain elevator that has a problem with, say, corn and soybeans got mixed together. Uh, these modern grain facilities, you push the wrong button for a few minutes and you've got a 50,000 bushel problem. We can bring our
0: equipment right on site and fix that. By the way, if you're listening and you're saying, what's this guy talking about? I, I grow cotton down here in, in Lubbock. What's he talking about? We're talking about some of these facilities that are as big as the town that uh, I was raised in they've got millions of bushels of stuff and then you've got an auger that's what 18 inches in diameter. You're, you, what you're saying is you push the wrong button all of a sudden the corn becomes the soybeans or the wheat gets mixed in with the wheat uh, get mixed in with the oats or whatever the hell you're talking about here. And it doesn't happen very often, but it happens. Who are your customers and clients?
1: Oh, we've worked for Cargill, ADM, uh, Anheuser-Busch.
0: The rail companies. Louis Dreyfus,
1: Burlington Northern, CP Rail. All
0: right. Where do you work? Besides, obviously, at your terminal, your facility that you have there in North Dakota, you go all over working. You've got problems. There's spoiled grain here. There's a mixed up mess over there. Where do you work?
1: Uh, Um, continental U.S., uh, And Canada, we do work north of the border with uh, with distressed cars up there, uh, both grain and fertilizer. Uh, Pretty much every state in the U.S. that's had something to do with with high volume agriculture, we've we've been there. All
0: right, you told me a couple of interesting stories before we started recording, and I think that the listeners of the Business of Agriculture podcast, and by the way, you're listening to me, your host Damian Mason, but also Dennis Haugen. You should keep up with him online. He's got interesting stuff. He puts posts out there about some of the work is doing. Follow him. Keep up with him on Facebook. It's Dennis Haugen, H-A-U-G-E-N, Dennis, like the menace. And also, do you have any other contact information? Uh, Generalgrain.com is our website if there you want to go. stop for a look around. There you go, Generalgrain.com. You told me some stories. Uh, organic grain from Ukraine came into the port of Baltimore on a huge cargo ship. And then maybe it was discovered that it's not really organic, which you and I can both pontificate about forever and ever. But the point is, I say there's lots of fraud. You and I both agree there's lots of fraud in that industry, lots of mislabeled, lots of people claiming that something is organic. But um, they offloaded it onto the concrete slabs right there beside the ship and threw some tarps on it. And then it came the wind, then came the rain. Next thing you know, you got a whole bunch of rotted, spoiled, non-organic organic organic grain you got involved tell me the rest well they
1: offloaded the boat because uh, the merge which I don't know the merge is late fees on a boat it's the same as late fees on a railroad car
0: or late fees at your bank meaning that you don't get the crap off of what you said you would by the time you said you would so they don't want they can't make any money by letting that boat sit around with your crap on it correct there you go. So they'd say, we're going to charge it. they say, well, I don't want to get hit with these merge fees, right? Huge yeah. fees. So they immediately
1: offloaded the boat. They didn't have a market for this bogus organic grain anymore because their customers walked away because it it was fraud. So they offloaded this on cement slabs just to get the boat out of there to avoid the demerge charges and then they were trying to get this grain sold back into some kind of other channels and in the meantime it's summertime in Baltimore and uh, they had the grain tarp for a while till the wind blew them away and the rains came along and all of a sudden they've got lots of distrust grain on their hands. What did you do with it? We Moved it into feed channels. Okay. Uh, we've got customers that use
0: very large volumes of grain. and They,
1: they could blend it. They can
0: blend. It. Now, do you think the piggies and the chickens and the cows knew that they were being fed fraudulently marketed, half-rotted, Ukrainian, not-organic grain? If it's blended off enough, they don't know the difference. <laughs> do you think they would have known if it hadn't been blended? <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, on your phone right now, you just showed me pictures before we went live of a mess you're cleaning up in New Orleans. Tell me about that. Oh, we deal with uh,
1: some barge work down there. Stuff comes down the river, uh, uh, comes out of some uh, DDG plants and whatnot. And they, they churn out so much product that they can't get it all Cured and cooled down before it's got to go down the river. So they allow for a certain percent of, of stuff that's going to have heat damage by the time it gets down to the down to the delta to uh, get loaded for export. And and we find alternative markets for that heat damage product. Heat damage meaning it caught on fire. So it's, it's occasionally, okay, not all of it. That doesn't happen. This was an exception rather than a
0: rule. Let's just say that someone's listening to this podcast right now, and maybe they are. Uh, you know, maybe they grow cucumbers in Florida and they keep up with uh, the Business of Agriculture podcast. And they're saying, What the heck is a dried distiller grain? And how does something that's dried catch on fire when it's on a barge real quickly? Well, it, it gets loaded onto the barge out of the
1: DDG plant, and they're, they're, Putting this stuff out so fast that it's. Which is not, a really an ethanol plant. Or, it's an ethanol plant and it's a byproduct of the ethanol plant. And it, they're loading it so fast it doesn't get a chance to cool down all the way. This mainly is a heat of the summertime issue. It gets on the barge, they put a cover on the barge, it goes down the river. Spontaneous and it's, combustion. And it's spontaneous
0: combustion. It's
1: hot out.
0: Hmm. I mean. And the product is hot. Product's hot. And, and obviously there's energy there because the carbohydrates, et cetera, et cetera, yep. that are in the yep. corn product. And if you've been in New Orleans uh, in the middle of July, you know what I'm talking about. If you've been in the French Quarter... I say it's got some of the most amazing eating and some of the most amazingly fun drinking of any place you'll ever be. But if it's July or August and you're hanging out in a French Quarter, it stinks like if your garbage disposal and your septic tank had just been overflowing and rotted in the summer. I mean, the, the food is like the scraps and the various other things that happen down there. Yes, yeah, so it's it's a rough time. It's a good time to go there, though. Okay, I'd say go to wintertime. Wintertime's a better time for eating and drinking <laughs> in New Orleans. All right. Most interesting messes you've cleaned up. We just talked about two of them. I think you gave me another one. We talked about uh, the mix, the blend, et cetera, et cetera. Any other highlights of a business known as grain salvage? Oh man, I don't
1: know. We run across so many things. It's
0: it's uh it's kind of interesting. Um, Say a bit. What about when these bins blow up or have a problem? Then uh, you've got stuff that's spilled out. You've got rocks. You've got chunks of
1: metal. Yep, yep. we've we've been in on those. Uh, you get a 700,000 bushel
0: bin that falls down, and you've got a big mess. You've got uh, a bunch of concrete, a bunch of metal, and generally it's not like you're going to get, that one's not like flammable, it's just going to be debris,
1: right? Well, most of the grain can be reclaimed, and I, we don't get into the major reclamation parts of this, So there's other contractors that deal with this. We'll, we'll get down to the nitty-gritty where the, the the last final loads of, you know, that are, really severely contaminated When we can remove the nuts and the bolts and the, the chunks of cement and, and whatnot. And and you know we'll, we'll get the stuff in pretty good shape. It, it, we'll get it marketable. I'll just put it to you that way.
0: Got it. So if you're sitting there listening to this podcast, you're saying, I always wondered what happened to that stuff. I'm talking to the guy. I'm talking to Dennis Haugen. He's my guest. We are discussing grain salvage. And we promised you we we're going to talk about his seed business and ag entrepreneurialism. Because you know what? Right now, in the business of agriculture, things are a little skinny for some folks. Uh, Dairy people are a little tight, corn people a little tight, soybean people a little tight. Forgive me if I don't mention your particular commodity, those are the ones that I'm more familiar with. Beef seems to be making money, pork seems to be making money, poultry's making a little money, but there's gonna be a need for you to think outside the box. So that's why we're talking to Dennis Haugen, ag entrepreneur, business owner, farmer from North Dakota. Talked about the grain salvage already. Now let's get into your next business. You have a patented or a trademarked named product, Jackhammer Radishes. Cover crops, I absolutely believe are the way of the future. I talked about it on this podcast. I'll talk about it again and again again. Last week was World Soil Day. Yep. It's the most important asset we have in agriculture. Yep. The most precious thing as humans, without the topsoil, without the sun and the topsoil, there ain't no us. Anyway, tell me about jackhammer radishes and your involvement in cover crops. Well,
1: we started out with doing radish seed production eight, nine years ago. We've we seen, you know, the cover crop movement was really starting to gain some traction. And, and uh, you know, being we were in the seed business, so it's an opportunity for us to grow and process some seed. Then we got into the radish seed business, uh, growing it, processing it. and we found there was a, a few strains of the diacon radish out there, which is our background, uh, that uh, rogue strains that didn't produce a very nice taproot. They were wimps, and you can't tell it by looking at the seed. It was an identity preserve thing, and, and the seed production we were doing was was good, high quality rootstock seed, and we've IP'd that and put a patented trademark name on it to IP, separate I, IP
0: for people that don't know identity preserve. Okay. The idea is in case you're listening to this, you're saying, what are you talking about radishes? Because the world of cover crops, which I firmly believe is the future of agriculture. We're going to do more and more of it. We need to do more and more of it because we're going to look back someday and we're going to say, Can you believe for eight months, six months of the year, these farm folks will leave their land barren like that? They would plow it up and leave it open to the wind and the water. It'd be like us looking at how they used to use leeches to try and cure diseases. I think that we're going to look back someday and say, man, it was really silly of us to leave our soil so vulnerable when it's so valuable. In cover crops, tell us a good cover crop mix for the plains and Midwest. Okay, and like you just said, the plains
1: and Midwest, uh, you know... Cover crop recipes are very territorial. Uh, What works in one area of the country, not so good in the other. Um, uh, Up and down the Central Plains, uh, if you're growing corn and soybeans, uh, radish, rye, turnip is a good combo um, to go into like corn stalks. Uh, If you're doing Beans on beans, a cereal rye is a fantastic cover crop to have in between if you're not if you're cheating on your rotations a little bit, that makes life a little less painless. It's a good it's a good rotation. Yeah, you're talking about
0: whether the nitrogen and then the legume and then you've got this. Now the reason they use radishes is because it's deep rooted and breaks up the compaction layer. Is there another reason for the radishes?
1: No, that's that's you know, that's pretty much long and short of it. I mean there's you know, whatever soil benefits if you really want to get into detail here, but I mean, that, that that's a pretty broad, good example.
0: You grow radishes, harvest the seed, sell it, clean it up, and then sell it on with your uh, trademark to people that need to use radishes in their cover crop mix. Who buys radishes?
1: We sell to, we're basically wholesale. So we're selling to larger seed dealers throughout the U.S. and then they take the raw, you know, the pure radish seed and then they'll make their blends on site for their geographical areas. It's it's hard to, you know, sell a blend out of our place that's going to northern Arkansas. They don't they don't want a mix that's works good in North Dakota, they want a mix that works good in Arkansas, so the dealers down there
0: do the blending. There is a geographical need to stay close to Okay, so the guy I'm talking to, Dennis Haugen, he's got a grain salvage business. He's a farmer in North Dakota, quite large, farms 5,000 acres, has a seed business, seed cleaning business, runs a grain elevator, and obviously is an ag entrepreneur, as we talked about at the top of the show. As an ag entrepreneur, as a person that's been around for 57 years in the business of agriculture, Give me some predictions. What do you see happening in the next five years that right now our listeners are going, ah, I don't know if I agree with that. Oh, that's really interesting. Give me a bold prediction.
1: Um, What would you wonder about, like uh, where exports are going? Sure. Um, I think our exports are going to keep increasing. China is huge. China can, okay, China is huge. Ocean freight is cheap. We can get our products to China to the main population areas cheaper than they can grow it over there and
0: and get it through their infrastructure. If you're wondering why I do this with my guests, I want to make sure that you realize there's two sides to every coin. I say exports are going to be okay, but it's not going to be any huger than it's always been because South Africa learned how to grow corn, Ukraine learned how to grow corn, and soybeans. And apparently, organically, or at least they'll say that it is, and it might end up in Baltimore. It was a market niche. I say that we're going to probably have bigger exports of Poultry and pork and protein products, but probably less on the grain side. Okay, doesn't matter that we agree The main thing is that we're both thinking Ag future. What are your thoughts about the business of agriculture? You're 57 years old. Are you excited about it? One thing that catches my eye quite often
1: is the supply and demand on a world scale We I've gotten very good at just-in-time economics. Um, the world's supply of grain is hangs around 86 days. A
0: lot of people aren't aware of that. Yeah, you pointed out once on one of my social media posts when I said, we've got too much corn, we've got too much beans, we've got too much grain, we frankly have a little bit too much milk, and you said... Kind of, <laughs> but we also are really only 86 days. We throw a bad, bad year in and we're not so far ahead, right? Exactly. And we got seven and a half billion people. Well, that, you know, every week the
1: drought monitor comes out for the U.S. and that area is growing larger this year. So, you know, it, it, the markets aren't really paying attention to it yet, but, you know, it's it could be an issue down the road. Uh, There's some issues in the Ukraine with their crops getting in this fall that bears watching. Uh, Australia's had a drought, uh, and then they got the harvest right now, they're harvesting down there
0: right now, and it won't stop raining, you know, so at the end of the day... You don't think we're as far ahead on our amount of surplus as some would try and convince you?
1: Well, when you use the, uh, when you think of just-in-time economics, as I just mentioned, well, yeah, everything's all fine and dandy, but you know... We could get eight months down the road right now, and all of a sudden...
0: Yeah, and it's not like cars. When you read the article in the Wall Street Journal, it says the car lots are sitting on uh, 103 days or 86 days, let's just use that same number, of inventory. You say, well, my goodness, even if they sold all those out, it's not like... I can live without a new car for another year. You can't live without food for another year. You can live without a new pickup truck or a new Buick for a year. You can't do it with food. Interesting point. 86 days is what our surplus looks like. You throw it together a bad year, it changes that dynamic markedly. Um, we promised you ag entrepreneurialism here with my guest, Dennis Haugen. The grain salvage guy, generalgrain.com is how you find him. He's a seed cleaner, a seed uh, uh, marketer, a seed trademarker, if you will. He's an ag entrepreneur. He's a farm guy. Um, You can find him. Give him your Twitter handle. Your uh, Facebook contact information is? Dennis Haugen. Haugen? Yep. H-E-H-A-U-G-N. Okay. We talked about this right before we went live. I said, do you have one tip to give somebody that's listening to this show? And you said, yes, I do. You're 57 years old. You're a self-made ag entrepreneur. What have you learned that you would like to share with anybody on this podcast right now?
1: Keep yourself diversified because you can't depend on good prices in agriculture. You know, we have this ups and downs. It's a free market. That's the way things operate. But, you know, if you got yourself a little sideline that'll help you out in hard times, at the end of the day, you're going to be thankful you're... Thinking outside the box.
0: Yeah, so you started your business back in the mid-90s and then expanded to the next thing. And people always say, well, I don't know. That. I wish that the opportunity come along. Remember, there's always an opportunity. Nobody probably thought you had struck gold by a train derailing 50 cars into your field. It's just that after that experience, you said, wait a minute. I might be able to be involved in salvaging stuff now that I've seen how this works. And I have some time and I have some equipment and I have some ability. Well, yeah,
1: you know, we were we were in the grain processing to start with, and and uh,
0: it was just I don't know, just. That's how everything evolved. Yeah, you already knew how green cleaning went. You're listening to the Business of Agriculture podcast where we, every week, try to talk about important stuff that's interesting to you. If you're involved in farming, food, fuel, fiber, the business of agriculture. I'm Dan Mason, your host. Look up Dennis Haugen, H-A-U-G-E-N. That's Dennis Haugen. He's a friend of mine on Facebook and now a friend in real life. He visited me, sat down with me in my Western office so we could have this wonderful conversation and you could be a part of it. Hope you learned something. Join me again next week. Again, thank you, Dennis, for being here. Well, thanks for having me. All right. Till next time. Thanks.